Hello and welcome to Open All Hours, the QPR wine and cheese evening. Or is it a party? Who can tell anymore? I'm Clive Whittingham from Loft the Word. <laughs> You've been thinking of that all day. <laughs> <laughs> I've been joined by the always socially distant Charlie from Talking Rangers. How are you, mate? Oh, very well, thank you. Very well, thank you. <laughs> very well, thank you. In his uni dorm there, I can smell it from here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> somebody who always well, well, follows well. the guidance, always follows the guidance at all times, Paul Finney. I can repeat that there is never a party anywhere near me because I'm far too miserable. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't know what a party you is anymore. Said it, no, whether, you said yeah, it, Yeah, no. we don't, don't know what a party looks like or is anymore or whether one took place or, you know, so uh, who can tell? You, you, you can have a party in your house now without even knowing. Do you know, it's, 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 isn't it a real shame you can't deny you ever sign players like Gus Caesar, Bob Malcolm, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Bob Malcolm. Oh dear, one day I'll tell you my Bob Malcolm story, but that day is not today. You've told uh, me a Bob Malcolm story, and I think you should tell it one day. <laughs> it's not <laughs> one for the podcast, I don't think. Um, oh, it is, it is. So, we're going to do Stoke, much as it might pain us. We're going to talk to our interview this week. Greatest left-back number to play for England, Clive Wilson, is going to be coming on later. Again, we're on Zoom. Again, he'll drop into the waiting room. And again, the transition... To that interview, maybe less than seamless, please forgive us. Uh, these are the times that we live in and operate in. But yeah, Clive Wilson will be joining us after we talk about Stoke. We'll then talk about the fans forum. I feel like once was enough, living through it once was enough, but we're going to live through it again and then we'll do ours then and leave you alone. Thank you for listening and your support as always. Stoke, deep breath. Uh, Charlie, one of those days or more serious than that? Oh, where do you start? Um... You can take the end, the end viewpoint of the, a ludicrous amount of shots, corners, chances we had throughout the 90 minutes. Um, but for me, it kind of, I'm going to touch upon a point I sort of made in my video and maybe turn up on a little bit. But um, the, the problem with this game for me started from an hour before kickoff with that team selection. Um, the whole, the main structure and, and a very, very integral element of that formation, that five at the back with the two wing backs is the wing-backs that have to possess attacking prowess and attacking threat. When you start the game with a central midfielder, a left-back, and Osman Kakai, who, in my opinion, yes, he's an adequate right-back, but he possesses no threat going forward and he is not a wing-back. You immediately shoot yourself in the foot. And I, I respect Mark Warburton's determination, uh, his belief in his system to, to stick with that five at the back, even when we don't have the players to play it. But this was one point in the season where we finally just needed to change the system just for one game where we simply did not have the players to execute it to an adequate standard. And I think that was the problem throughout the 90 minutes for me. We offered no threat in, in any short shape form in wide positions. We narrowed down our attacks and simply played straight into the hands of Stoke. Um, and I actually didn't realise that Sam Field was, was left-footed. I thought he was, I don't know why, but he seemed to cut in every time on his right foot. Then opened up, made it easier for the, the right-sided Stoke fullback. And it was just that problem for me was one we couldn't come back from throughout that, throughout that 90 minutes and was the reason. Yeah, of course, we missed major chances throughout, throughout the game. But for me, that was the major reason from the get-go as to why we didn't get anything from that Stoke game. 
yeah, I guess you could you could make an argument that it was just one of those days like Bristol City where the goalkeeper has a worldie. And I think we've had 50 shots and 20 on target across those two games and lost them both. But for me, they were very different. Bristol City, I think we win that game any other day. Stoke, less so. I thought Stoke played as well. And they funneled us into the centre of the field. And then as soon as we got in that dangerous area in front of their back three, where Chair and Willock like to do damage, they just absolutely monstered that area and uh, Wilmot at the back for them was was very good but clearly the wing backs um, were an issue for us we suffered Kake's crossing ability down one side and, and Samfield's obviously not a left wing back down the other um, if Wallace Odebajo McCallum I'm running out of uh, basically all the wing backs can be injured medium term it doesn't sound terrifically likely that any of them will be back for Sheffield United there's certainly a decision to be made there uh, for what do you reckon he can either go four four two and try something different, which is what I would think may be an idea for this one game. Because I think Charlie, hello, he's living in very interesting student accommodations. There, he's very wise above his years. Um, we're going to make the sound like you live in an absolute shit. Yeah, yeah, people can't see this. Excuse me, this is nice and clean. Yeah, yeah. You make it sound like a bit dump. Is that spider behind you paying rent? <laughs> Um, the audacity, the audacity. So, so what we're doing is like we're looking at trying to is it a wee bit round peg square holes type things on Sunday. I mean, I think Stoke were a mixture of a decent organised side, a wee bit of pressing about them as well and what they were doing, and they they came with a plan and and Clive they played really well. I mean, I'd love to say that you know we didn't play we didn't play that well in some parts, but they did a job on us, you know, and, and that's going to happen this division. And it's no reason to panic, but there may be an option to change. There's, there's a lovely word at the moment called Plan B, which I'm sure we'll talk about later <laughs> on. And I'm thinking that perhaps we should investigate using it when we have to sometimes. Um, Sheffield had it. I'm sure watch that game and we'll, 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 we'll take note of, as Clive rightly said, how they, they, they barely box us in midfield-wise. And I think we, we were kind of... We were chasing shadows in that midfield for quite a bit as well. I kind of know. It's, it's, it's a shame because we're giving Dazelle such a good big up before the game on the TV and everything else, and that was probably his poorest game. No fault of his. It just did a job with us, and they were quite dirty, and the missed penalty was another um, th- reason why you know it's not going to be your day when, it, you know, nine out of ten times he's going to tuck that away. But, you know, it's 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 no reason to get depressed, but it's certainly a reason to feel, oh, well, here we go again, up the top of the hill and being put it down the other side rather quickly. Yeah, bless. I mean, Charlie. I mean, did, did anybody think he was going to score that? On the, nope. Honestly, was, were any were any of you standing there thinking yeah, I, you fancied him? Because I'm like, he played really well at Derby and was actually doing the banter and all of the. He looked like Charlie Austin old and the great assist for Willett's goal. And I was like, oh, he might, he might maybe getting it back and getting a bit of confidence and belief. But honestly, can anybody put their hand up and say they thought he was going to score that penalty? Genuinely. No. Was sat over there in my supposed disgusting uni room with my mates. Uh, <laughs> it was one of maybe the first times we've been awarded a penalty, and I didn't really celebrate. I don't know why. I was a bit subdued, and I said, I just looked at my mate and said, "We're not going to score this. We're not going to score this." I don't know what it was, and I, and I suppose that, as you mentioned, there's probably some more keep up hands, but and it wasn't even they didn't even pan to Austin at this point. I just I don't know. I had this gut feeling that we just weren't going to score it, and maybe. Oh, not the earphone out there. Uh, maybe, you know, you come and think it maybe wasn't our day, but I think as, as Paul mentioned, and as you mentioned, Clive, 
Stoke, you know, and I kind of in, in the midst of my and, and this sort of the hot headedness after I did my review and I had a lot of people come up to me and say, well, you need to give Stoke more credit. And I kind of took review. Their goalkeeper was astounding. Um, I think, was it Mark, is it Mark Davies? I can't remember his name. Uh, Adam Davis. Yeah, Adam he was, Davis, he was very it. good. And I very think, you good. know, if we had scored the penalty, I, it was one of those games where you think maybe we oh, could have piled on and win. Yeah. But I do, I was impressed with Stoke. I thought they played well. I thought their tactical setup yeah. was good. And I thought they could have scored more goals than they did. Dieng made a good double save in the first half, although I think that was possibly offside. Fletcher yeah. Yeah, made a good was. save from Timon in the second half. They scored twice. Um, yeah, I thought they were pretty good value. I just I, there's yeah. something I've got to get off my chest though. Something off my chest. That's twice now. That same through ball has come through and split our back three. Yeah, with complete exactly, ease. It was spookily just, the simple. same, wasn't it? It was yeah, the same as Darby. Identical. It was just it was just too easy, and it was. And it wasn't like all three, all three centre halves were occupied with a runner each. It was, I think it was one player just made a diagonal run and across Barbe. And it's just like, come on, we're better than this. We're better than this. That these things shouldn't be creeping in. And I, I know that's maybe a little bit overcritical. Maybe you know, coming getting sucked into maybe this fact we're overperforming at the moment. But I just think these are, you know, if these are the way we're conceding it, and and these are the ways that we're going down in games. I just think we're capable of stamping this out. But um... but do you know what, though, Charlie, I'll be honest with you. My take on that goal was because they weren't used to fields in the name positions and yeah, right-hand side, there wasn't the same confidence they would have if the two Wallace was there. And you know, Uncle Albert, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult. So it's new players and field hasn't played for a while. So the communication level isn't there. They don't know his game as well as they should, perhaps, and, and they haven't got used to him. So you can kind of see where maybe they would get... Well, they got pulled out a lot that way during that game, to yeah. be honest with you. So yeah, I can see it, but you're right. It's you know, it, it's not good to get caught by the same trick twice. Is it? It's, it's it's not good. But I was you know, I was I, I was surprised how long it took. Diang seemed to also come off his line, change his mind, and then carry it, and it was too late. You know, your man had already picked his spot. So it was one of them horrible days. It's just... But the whole ground seemed quite flat. You know, it's it's it was a weird one as well. The atmosphere didn't seem the team yeah. that was third in the table. That, that that was strange. Well, I was gonna I'm I'm gonna come on to that when we talk fans forum because yeah. there was a lot of chat about that on the on the evening and how we improved that. I think on Stoke, if you know, we've come off an unbeaten November. We'd won three games. It you know just before that, so maybe you can forgive them just having an off day. We had key players missing and whatever. Let's see what we turn up like at. Chef United, when we've had a decent amount of preparation time, and then Swansea, and then Bournemouth. The games are actually quite spaced out at the moment, which is good, given the the players um, that we're missing. But when we talk about changing formation, does it? We can be a little bit. I mean, it's very easy for us to sit on a podcast and play Monday morning quarterback and say, "Should have done this, should have done that." You know, the team selection didn't look right. Everyone in the pub sort of took a bit of a intake a breath when we saw it and went, oh, this is going to be tough and maybe you should do this and maybe you should do that. But, you know, Mark Warburton's, far, I mean, does it goes without saying, far more experience and better at his job than any of us ever could be. Um, he also sees the players in training. Um, so he knows far more than us about who's in form and what they've tried in training and how it looks. Maybe that maybe that setup looked great in training. Um, we also don't know what other players were maybe playing with knocks and things like that. And I don't think it is as simple when you've been playing a system like we have with a back three since the start of the year 
to just suddenly click your fingers one day and go, right, today we're playing 4-4-2 or 4-3-3 yeah. and then switch it back the following week, I think. Completely agree, things- completely agree. But then should we not have also trialling at certain points throughout the season a backup formation? And I, yeah, don't maybe, get me wrong, I'm all for have- this plan A, but I would have thought that it shouldn't just be a complete disbandment of this plan A and that we should have a trial at some points, maybe not in mass capacity, but have this plan where in worst comes to worst for my, in my opinion, that was a worst come to worst situation where, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put you there. I'm just, this is, obviously, no, 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 no. but it's, um, I think we should, we should have some form of reserve, albeit a plan Z that, you know, if it really comes to it, the players should have some form of capacity where they understand what they need to do. But like I say, I, I am, I am all for this, this plan A, but I think, for me, that was the one point. I've stomached it a lot throughout the season where we've stuck to plan A when it maybe wasn't the best. But I think that was maybe the one point for me where I think that should have been changed. But It was, say, say, it it was quite similar to Barnsley, wasn't it? Where George Thomas played on as one of the wingbacks yeah. and that, did, that didn't work either. So, like I said at the top, it doesn't look like any of these wingbacks are going to be back in, in, a, in reasonably short order. So exactly. I'm, I'm really interested to see what we go with against Sheffield United, who tend to play a back three, although obviously have just changed manager. Um, so really interested to see with what we go with on Monday and, and Sheffield United and then Swansea as well, a really clever team, very well managed. So next week looks tough. Um, obviously, we've spoken about this before, but the difference Lee Wallace makes is just absolutely astounding for a bloke of his age. And uh, it's, it's a shame he's not 26, isn't it? You know, it's a shame I'm not 26, never mind him. Um, but the thing but is, our win, our win percentage wouldn't go either way if you were 26 or not. We do, we <laughs> probably, would, probably would with Lee Wallace. At least I have some thick in her. Um, I don't know, is as long as it's, it's yeah, I get what you're saying, Charlie, about having them, but he obviously wants, I don't know what you think, Clive. You've obviously interviewed him and um, on this before, it didn't go so well from what memory is about changing things, and um. You know, he just wants the players really, really well drilled. So they know the job game after game after game after game. But yeah, it didn't work Sunday. It's, I mean, we don't need to have a, you know, we're in a far better position than we could have dreamt of at the start of the season. And it's, it's just a chance miss, isn't it, to, to carry on that good run and to carry on the scoring to keep the chance of breaking records. But it's just one of them things we've got to take at the chain. It does worry me a bit because if they are at long term, then whether he likes it or not, he will have to change because it, that... I don't think will work. Maybe I don't know. Uh, Mark and me are, are busy mates now. I just want that on the on the record. We're, we're absolutely fine and got over our, our differences. And um, I would have forgiven you that easy. It says in the waiting room, Clive's iPhone, and I was like, "What have I done?" But I've just remembered that's, uh, that's this is the first time ever we've had two Clives on the podcast, or even in the same country. Well, yeah, but yeah, I've just I've realised many Clives are there, Clive, in the country. There were no baby Clives last year. I know that. Uh, you, you've not been that busy, have you? Zero baby Clives last year. But we have. Ah, uh, look at this. It's Willow. We, How are you, son? We have got our guest uh, joining us now, Clive Wilson. Hello, mate. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. Good, thank you. How are you? We were better before we played Stoke, um, but we're we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Yeah. The season, the season going well. What have you made of it? Um, I think it's been a. Um, I want to don't want to use the wrong word. Angover from last season, um, the, the back end of last season finished really strong. So and have carried that on, maybe in fits in in patches this year. But they're having a bit of consistency at the minute. So staying in the top four, top six is um is what was expect was what I think be expected of them. 
wing backs were the problems at the weekend. With all the wing backs are injured, do you fancy a game at Sheffield United on uh, on Monday at all? If if they pay me for five minutes of work, I'm up. I'm up to oblige. <laughs> Only the five, Clive. You could make it six and a half. Say again. You could make it six minutes, could you? I could possibly push it to seven and a half, but then, but then you'd have to send it's have to send the oxygen in for me. <laughs> but let's see. On a serious note, how 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 hard is it to play a modern wing back? Because we've just been sitting here for twenty minutes, twenty minutes discussing the wing backs and you know round pegs and everything else and square holes. It seems a very hard position to get right. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, very, very difficult position to get right because you're caught between two. So do you play a a full back as a a wing back? Or do you play a midfield player as a wing back? So um, again, you're caught because obviously the fullback will be a better defender. The, the midfield player will probably be a bit be a bit of an attacker, and that's and what you really want is a combination of both. So it is a difficult position to find the right players in, but with given time, it's, I'm sure I'm sure QPR will do that. Just coming on to that, do you think? Oh Jesus, um, do you think it's better to start off, for example, as a right-sided midfielder? And move backwards, or start off as a right full uh, as a right back, and move forwards as a wing back. What's your stance on that? Well, if I'm thinking about my own career, <laughs> I, I started off as a, as a, uh, a left sided midfield player and moved back. So it suited That's me. The but right we, answer. Yeah, but we ne- we never we never really played wing backs as such. We just played we just played for like, the customary four four two, which was the the order of the day back then. Would you be ideal? I I was thinking you'd be pretty ideally suited to the to this modern game and wing backs now. Would you would you fancy a bit of this? You would be worth about forty million quid, wouldn't you, in this in this current setup? I think that might be my left foot, and my right foot might be worth two. So that's forty two. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, no, that I actually I think about it sometimes, and I go, yeah, this the modern era would probably suit me a lot better than it, it probably did. It gives you more license to get forward and. And not so much honest, and so much honest on, on defending. And uh, penalty taking that also let us down at the weekend. You had a, a fairly immaculate record of uh, of penalties at, at QPR. I remember one against Millwall, which I'm I'm definitely going to ask you about last minute yes. FA Cup when we had back in the day when we had cup runs. I mean, get any any trick to it? No, you know the strange thing when um, when England lost in the um, in the Euros. And everyone was saying, oh, they've hit a bad penalty, they've hit a bad penalty. I said, look, the bottom line is a good one is one that is the net, a bad one is one that misses. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter how it misses, it just misses. You don't get anything for it in the bar, you don't get anything for, for missing the target. It's just it's just a it just, you just miss the penalty. So there's not there's no real tips. I think I, I think you'd have to ask uh, people like Matthew Letitia a bit more than me for any tips. Your record, your record was pretty outstanding. I think I think you're, you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice there. I mean, did you, was it something you practiced and worked on? How do you, I mean, when you're stepping up in front of the loft in the last minute of an FA Cup fifth round game against Millwall, your heart must be going. Like, what does what does that feel like? How do you set yourself down? And because Casey Keller was in goal that day, he was absolutely brilliant. Had a bit of an Indian sign over us. But so, how do you how do you go about it as the the designated penalty taker? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you, you think about, you know, you think about it. I mean, I, I, if I cast my mind back to then, um, I remember stepping up and thinking, worst case scenario, we'll get a replay. Right? Well, that's easy for you to say. You wouldn't have yeah. been in the away end. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
I'll, I'll just try to make you like, avoid going to going to the new, the old den, was it then, or the new den? Um, new den thing. To that, um, that old stomping, the stomping ground of the den, which was a den of iniquity back then. Um, so I, I don't know. You don't have, you don't have to actually give it any thought. You just you just pick a, You just decide to pick a spot or pick a side and go for it, and hopefully it goes in, which fortunately it did. How much back then? Because you see now goalkeepers coming out with like instructions on their water bottle for which way penalty takers have gone in the past, and it's all analysis and studies and stuff like this. Back then, did you do homework on goalkeepers, or did you just pick whichever side you fancy? Exactly that, whichever side you fancy, because there wasn't the, the in-depth analysis that they're doing today, where they they, uh, they there's a goalkeeping coach and he, he tells the goalkeeper which which is your favourite side. But if you don't have, a, I mean, more so today, there's less of a favourite side because people are going down the middle now. So so that that didn't so that it nullifies the keeper saying well he, he's good on his left or good on going to the right because many of, as I say many of them go down the middle. So it's um. You got three options. Well, you got three. Op- you've always had three options, but only ever used two before. Or, or <laughs> yeah. And now you've got a third option straight down the middle. That's uh, that's cheating, I think, going down the middle. Although I, I kind of wish Charlie had done that on uh, on uh, Sunday. Uh, I'll I'll throw it over to Paul in a minute. But I did want to ask you about that switch from midfield to to left back in your career. Was that out of necessity and uh, and an injury and were you in favour of it at the time and and how did you how did you go about it was when Jerry was in charge. No, the funny th- the funny thing was I I actually made my debut for Man City at left back, um, but but after that I played in midfield, um, and the only time I, I ever played at left back generally was when it, when there was an injury crisis or yeah when someone was injured or suspended, so it was only a filling position for me. And, and became more of a, a permanent once Jerry came to once Jerry came to QPR. But the first season I was here, I was playing, I was playing in midfield when Don was the manager. It wasn't. Mm. So, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say that that's that's a fair shake. So remember that because Don twigged quite a few things, didn't he, at Rangers, and, and you being one of them. But was that just a, something that happened in the training ground, or was it emergency or what? Because it, it sort of changed your career. Well, for us. Yeah, very much. Because um, that first season I came, I, I think I played uh, maybe not even fifth, started about fifteen games, um, and it was as it wasn't until Jerry came, and I wasn't even, when Jerry came, I wasn't even first choice because they bought Rufus Brevit. Sorry, Rufus Brevit. The um, the March before, and he along with Darren Peacock and Andy Andy Cock, Tilson. Tilson, that's it. And the Tilson, they they came at the same time when when there was a transfer not a transfer window but there was a transfer day in, in March. They came around that time, and and they he was the first choice. And I, I think I can't remember if it was Wickham. There was a preseason game. I came on in that game, played really well, and actually I kept my place in the team after that. And, um, and my career my career went from strength to strength at, at QPR. So I have to there's a bless there's a blessing there for I think Wickham I owe Wickham a uh, gratitude, a debt of grat- gratitude. Don't worry, we've given so many players over the last flipping years. We've, we've paid it back tenfold, I can tell you. The <laughs> other thing is, why did why do you think, Clive? Because every time you've been on the podcast, and, and thanks for coming on again, we're, and we're blessed to talk to you, and you talk about football, you have such a decent insight into it and brain. Why do you think you never really went into the, the full-time coaching roles at football or did you not come up? Well, you know, strangely, two opportunities came up for me. 
and just coaching, coaching that um, Spurs. Uh, Spurs was one, um, but it was at a t- it was a it was the wrong time for me, in the sense that uh, I was I was having to um, train on a, a train train them on a Tuesday and a Thursday, play on a Saturday. No, train on a Saturday and play on a Sunday. And at the time, my daughter was playing football, so so I felt it would have been unfair for me to say I can't take her to football because I'm coaching someone else. So okay. I had to, yeah, so I had to give her the opportunity. And I'd say fortunate, she, she's actually kicked off football and she's now playing for Crystal Palace. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, she's now playing for Crystal Palace. So um, she's actually had a, had a bit of a distinguished kid, not distinguished, but she's been a few places. So she she went to, did a scholarship in America. Then she came back, went to Malaga in Spain, Sassuolo in Italy, came back to England. And came back to England, played for Charlton for a year, and now she's at Palace. And she's <laughs> doing all right. Um, I don't suppose there's any Northern Irish in your family, is it? Because we, Northern Ireland. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> well, no, because Northern Ireland women ladies team have made the Euros. I was just wondering if we could get another player. That's all. I'm just trying to you know help the country out. She's she's already uh, nailed nailed the colours to the Jamaica mask. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I'll forgive you. Sorry about it's that. It's fine. But look, look, looking back, I did wonder because I always thought, you know, because you're always enthusiastic. It's, it's just something that I had to ask, Clive. And I know you've you've gone into teaching and and done other things, and you, you've done things. But if you had been around these days and playing the wing back, you, you know, it, it would have been such a different game for you, wouldn't it? And you'd have made so much more money that you would never have come on this podcast. So <laughs> these things work out well in the end. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it would have ruined you. Why do you think? And it's and I know you're a very humble person, and I'm asking this with. A great deal of respect, but I felt you should have had more England caps, and perhaps you should have opted for Northern Ireland when you had a chance. But I told you, but what you know, it, do you ever look back at that? Because I, we've seen those players every week at Rangers, and for me, I don't know what Clive and, and Charlie think, but pound for pound, you were better than anyone I've seen in the English show in that generation. But you know, some, that that is a, a disappointment for me in my career. That I never, I never managed to make make it make it to a squad, let alone um, get a cap. Um, so yeah, that's a bit of a disappointment. But I, I think time change. If I was playing for QPR today, I think I would have had a better chance because they tend to, back then they tend to just pick the the players from the bigger clubs. Yeah. So I think I think I would have I would have stood a better chance today of playing of playing for a country rather than and than not. But you can only you can only do it for the time you're playing. So I have a couple of questions about this. One, I mean, were you ever close? Like, did you ever hear that that, that you were close? And and two, was it as well as the big club thing? Was it there were some some quality players in that? You obviously Stuart Pearce and and Kenny Sanson before that, and and mm. others who played left back for England. Was it just unlucky with the timing? And like I say, were you were you ever close before that? I I heard rumours that I was close, maybe on a couple of occasions when Graham Taylor was the manager. Um, even to where I think they ran out of left backs, and I think he ends up he ends up playing in that left back in a in a um, in an England game. And my, uh, I remember a few people saying, "Oh God, Anderson is a midfield player, and you're the left back. Why can't why wouldn't have called upon you?" But it wasn't to be, so I can't I can't turn back the clock, so to speak, and I just have to accept um, what, how it was at the time. And here's a hospital pass of a question, so I apologise in advance. But if uh, part of the reason that you weren't selected is because you were playing for one of the more unfashionable clubs, 
do you look back and think maybe if you had done what Paul Parker, Andy Sinton um, and Les did, um, leaving the club a bit earlier in your, in your prime, that you might have got that call-up? Is, is that a regret? Sorry, that's a horrible question to ask. No, 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 it's not a horrible question. No, and it's not, a, it's not a regret as such because I actually thought at that time we were, we were playing, we were, do, we were one of the better sides in the country. We, uh, 92, 93, 94, we were probably the top London side yeah, for at least a couple of seasons. So there, there wasn't any need for me to to, to leave for a better team. Right? I would have I'd probably left for more money, but not for a better team. <laughs> um, the, me too. Uh, the Millwall penalty led to an FA Cup quarterfinal at Old Trafford. I remember watching the draw with my dad thinking if we got anybody apart from Man United away, we would have a really good chance of getting to the semi-final. I think we were the last two balls out. And my mm. dad said, well, if we get them at home, I think we've got a chance. And we pulled them away. Yeah, yeah. And my recollection of that day, apart from us singing about Paul Ince for about 50 minutes on the spin, was um, that we tried to double up with you and Rufus against Andre Kanchelskis and maybe yeah. sacrificed a little bit down that side. I'm not sure, did we leave Trevor out? I should have checked this before, before I started this question, really. But... It just felt like a little bit of overkill and it, it took away from us a little bit on the day. Any regrets there? What are your sort of memories of, of how that went? And, and it's like the nightmare draw to get, really, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was. Bearing in mind, we was on, coming on the back of the euphoria of getting through at the last minute. Then then you draw the um, probably the best team in the country at the time. Um, but yeah, if I recall the game itself, it was a, it was a bit of a letdown because we didn't really play that. We didn't play well that. Um, and I think Jerry, I think yeah, Jerry tried to, as you say, nullify Andre Kinchelsea a little bit, playing me at left back, Rufus in front of me, um, and it, it didn't really work. It stifled our stifled our our ability to get forward, get forward and break on them. So yeah, it was it was a, um, an eye disappoint, a disappointment. But when I look back on QPR, I think my dis most disappointing thing was we never got close to winning anything. Although we we were. It was always on the fringes of winning, on like on the periphery and going, yeah, if they do this, we might win something. But it would have been absolutely un an unbelievable thing to have done it, done it with QPR. Two players shy, I reckon. Two players shy of, uh, of winning stuff. How did you come to leave? Again, my recollection, obviously, hazy a long time ago, but we offered one year and Tottenham offered two. Was it as, as simple as that? Because your departure... And no. losing David Bardsley to injury and then obviously losing Les all at once, having lost Ray and Andy Sinton and all these people before it just was like death from a thousand cuts. How did how did you end up going to Tottenham? Like, um, there was a, you know, J Jerry had left in, I can't remember, maybe maybe it was a January. It was a January. Ray, and Ray came back and took and took the job. Um, at the end of that season, Ray's, Ray, uh, Ray said to me, um, I want you to. He wants me to stay, and I said, "Look, I'll have a think about it." He said, "What? What did? What did you want?" Uh, and I can't remember what I said, but anyway, he came back to me and said, "Yeah, that's fine." But in the meanwhile, Jerry had gone to um, Spurs, and he knew the situation. In the situation I was in at QPR, I knew that I could, I could, I would leave on a free. So he he made he made the move. He made the move. Um, contacted me, said he was interested, and I, I had to make the call back to Ray to say, and it's, the, it's the, the worst call I've ever made in football, worst call I've had to make in football, to tell Ray that I was leaving. I, was, I, was, I wasn't going to sign. And I remember he was, he was working for the, I think it was 
England under 21s. I can't maybe, and I phoned him. I went, I picked up the phone at least half a dozen times to phone him and put it back down. I went, oh, I can't tell him. And I plucked up the courage and I, ph I phoned him and said, hi, Ray. He went, ah, well, how are you doing? I went, fine. I went, um, he said, oh, yeah, what's happening? And I'm sorry to tell you, Ray, I'm going I'm I'm to take the offer at Spurs. And there was a little pause in the conversation. And he went, Willow, I'm really sorry, really sorry to hear that. And I said to him, look, it was just, for me, it was just a, an opportunity I couldn't turn down at that stage, at that time of my career. Um, and he, and again, in I guess you fully understood why, but at the time, it, it, did, it did hurt. Yeah, it hurt us all, mate. Not to, yeah. not to rub it in. Paul's going to thank you for everything you've done for the club now. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave Paul to finish up. <laughs> Thank you. Well, to be honest with you, he, he did. I mean, you know, I'll always remember that time at Anfield. I don't know if you remember that one, um, Clive, and stuff like yeah. that. You, you put yourself down, but Jesus, to do that in front of them, not, I don't know, mate. I just think underrated is a very overrated sentence sometimes in a strange kind of weird way, but you are <laughs> definitely, definitely well worthy of being a legendary status of QPR and an amazing left back and such a sweet left foot. It's just a shame we never see more of your free kicks. Underused the free kicks, may I add, as well. And yeah. um, Do you know what I mean? Because like, it was natural to you, Clive. You never seem to be... I mean, maybe it's just me and my stupid memory, but you never seem to be struggling. You always seem to be on top of things. You always had a kind of a, a really good attitude of like, well, I'll do my best, and that's all I can do. But your best is bloody good, to be fair. No, but, but, but that's what we try to do in life, though. We try to give our best. Some, sometimes our best ain't good enough, but you just hope it is most of the time. And what do you think, as a as, as a city fan, as you, were you a city fan as a kid or? Oh, don't say, don't say this too loudly, but I was Liverpool growing up. Oh, really? oh you're in the wrong city. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, but there, there wasn't the rival when I was growing up in Manchester. There wasn't the rivalry that there is today. I didn't. I always thought Manchester and Scotland hated each other. They probably did, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't feel it. I like that. Just go. Yeah. Just be yourself. Yeah. But, um. Do you know, how do you feel about you know, all this money? Because it didn't help us very much and City's gone into this weird direction. Do you feel 90s, looking back at the 90s, was a good time for football as it is now? It's just all money and mercenaries and this, that and the other. I mean, if, if um, I look at it like this. I look at football like life and music, football like music. There were times in, times in your life when there's times when you hear music and it shapes your life. So whether music, whether music before that or after that is any good, you just remember the time that you liked it. Same goes for football. It doesn't matter uh, if they, if your team was better or worse than the time that you enjoyed. You thought you thought football was good. It, it's always going to be that time for you. So, so it's difficult to say whether money sport money. The only reason why money sport it is because the the uh, gap between the players and the man in the street has become. Like a chasm, right? You cannot the the man in the street cannot get anywhere near a modern day footballer. Whereas I'm not saying my time was any better, um, but they could do in my time. It's very it's very difficult today, and the money the, they're treating a bit more like superstars today. Maybe we maybe we were superstars, and they were they were mega stars then. So today, so it's a it's a different thing altogether. And, and the funny you're saying that. I don't know if you listened to talk, talk Sport yesterday, um, and they said um, Michael Richards went from earning five thousand pounds to fifty thousand pounds in in uh, let's say on one contract, and ends up spending one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on a night out. 
Jesus. Right? That that is that is the kind of money differences you're talking from today for today for my day. Hundred fifty thousand dollars. That might be a that might mean a year salary, right? Yeah, yeah, that'll be a year salary, and he, he can spend that in one night. When I was a little joke there, Clive, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was gonna I was gonna say when I was a little kid, I got uh, Clive's autograph in the Bentall Centre in Kingston, and I very much doubt that Jack Grealish goes shopping in the Bentall Centre in Kingston. So there's a uh, no, but yeah. it's have to shop, you know. The butler does have a day off. But right? <laughs> um, next time we do Rangers, Clive. Get down and say hello, we'll buy you a pound. I'm sure there's a lot of people who'd like to thank you for what you've done for Rangers. I'm, actually, I'm trying to get to the Swansea game. Good man. Well, hopefully we'll get to say hello. Yeah, trying to get to Swansea game. So, yeah, but hopefully I'll get there. And the joke is, of course, bring your boots, because by the way, we're losing full-backs. It might be on the freaking pitch. <laughs> <laughs> is anyone that really stands out to you in the squad? One player that you think, you know, oh, he's, you know, he's the most... Do you know player. what... And I, he wasn't playing. He wasn't playing regularly when I first saw him, but I liked him. Ilias Chair. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I remember saying to I said to Les, "Oh, um, I like the the young boy you brought on, or the young boy who's playing. I think he's playing number ten at the time." I went, "I would like him." He said, "Yeah, he's from the youth team. About two, three years ago, he said he's in the youth team. He's not a bad player." And I've just watched him from afar, and he's he's, he's blossomed over the over the last couple of years. Without a doubt. Don't tell anyone, but he's rather good. We don't want to lose him. Yeah, I know, but. <laughs> I think he will be like um, Eze's, right? Yeah. Be, I think I think if 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 Gibraltar don't get get up in the next eighteen this year or the year after, and he, cut, he continues with the form he's got, then I'm sorry to say, but he'll be, he'll be going elsewhere. Luckily for us, Barca is skint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but PSG, PSG, Newcastle. Right, they they've they all got plenty of money to throw, throw at it. As, as long as you don't leave on a free, that's all right. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I'm only kidding. Killer, killer wolf. Do you know what? We apologise for we apologise for our resident Ontario students. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm going to have to tweet a picture of my uni room now to actually share everyone it's, it's not the supposed to jump that you're claiming it is. <laughs> my daughter's at university. Her room's a lot tidier than yours and you've got a light bulb that's not working. <laughs> yeah, that is true, actually. I can't that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't yeah. That. You just need, anyway, to, just need a ladder. Yeah. On, that, yeah. on that bombshell, Clive, we're going to let you go. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, hopefully we'll see you soon, Clive. Definitely come and yeah. see you another one. Day. Enjoy oh, the thank, you for, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, Thanks, it's Clive. always a pleasure. Always. Bye. Nice Take to see care. you, mate. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Bye, bye, Clive. Bye, bye. 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 <laughs> hey, Clive. <laughs> it's the one. You know what? I go saying that to a man me. like Clive Wilson, fifty lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what, Clive? I reckon that'll be the one time we'll only have two Clives ever in this podcast. I can't see that happening ever again. I think that's a history was made in this podcast. Clive, uh, Clive Allen, you could have on. Um, he doesn't really pick his phone up a lot. We ring him. Surprisingly. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Well, I don't pick my phone up when you ring me, to be fair. I don't blame my balance for that. At all. I said we. I didn't say me. I said we. Okay. I <laughs> and you're the right. Royal we. The Royal We. Right. right. Here we go. Fans Forum. Like I said at the start, I feel like sitting through this once was enough. Shall I, shall I go and sit down and just listen for 20 minutes? Are you going to be honest and rant? Or are you just going to just. Go. No, I'm not going to rant at all. What I'm going to start with is a disclaimer because um, I've, got, I've been burned before by 
taking the piss out of some of the stuff that gets asked at the fans forum because just because I don't think it's important doesn't mean that it's not important to somebody and we are in our own way privileged to have a platform a podcast a YouTube channel a website between us where we get to say whatever we like about whatever we think is important on any given week so if I think that the catering is important one week I can write an article about it and other people don't have that ability so if they want to go and harangue the club about something, then the fans forum is the place to do it. That said, I did find the tone of the evening for a club that at the time was third in the league. And even though we've dropped a couple of places, is certainly doing very well this season by any measure. I did find the tone of the evening rather strange and uh, and odd. For It felt more like a forum that was taking place at a team that's already had one relegation and is rapidly heading towards another. Charlie was there sitting in front of me, a couple of rows. Maybe I'm wrong. Charlie, what did you think of the fans forum? Um, I think you raised some good points. Um, I'd, I'd like to echo the point that, you know, we are we are lucky we get to, as, as you rightly mentioned, we get to, to raise our thoughts and opinions and, and some people don't get that sort of capacity. So, of course, who am I to say that what you ask, something that, that resides with you isn't, um, isn't of importance? And, um, there were some, I think... What came from that was the tone, as you mentioned. I think at some point, I think the word for me was perspective. I think that I would kind of echo in that. Um, I think the evening, in my prediction, not prediction, in my expectation, shall I say, what I thought would one have been more of a celebratory um, and um, show of appreciation for, I think, the, the sort of reforms we've had over the last maybe 18 months. Yes, of course, there's still problems throughout the club that we can't address overnight. The club can't address overnight. And there's a lot of things that are ongoing processes that will simply be a matter of years that, that solutions will will forecome. But um, yeah, maybe a little bit disappointed. I think that maybe way some of the, maybe maybe some of the problems in the way they delivered, I think maybe in my opinion was a little harsh for certain areas um, and some maybe didn't need sort of addressing in, in that sort of direction. But like I say, a little disappointing that the way it sort of came about and 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 the tone as mentioned but yeah it, what, what I, I, I mean i've never been to a forum where the manager and the director of football left early because there were so few questions for yes. them almost they hadn't basically mark warburton and les ferdinand basically hadn't spoken for about 25 minutes and they just sort of said we're gonna pop off now because they and that that's amazing and i hope they i hope they didn't take that as sort of a a a slight against the work they're doing. I mean, yeah, I suppose if you're getting loads of questions at the fans forum, you're you're having a bad time, right? Mm. So you'd rather have no questions than loads. But it did feel a bit, you know, the turnaround we've had on the pitch over the last three years has been absolutely unreal. We've all really enjoyed it. Love watching the team. It, it did feel it felt a bit sort of slanderous and a bit insulting. That it was so few questions. I mean, Paul Morrissey basically had to engineer some stuff. For, for Warburton and Ferdinand to talk about. Yeah. I've never been there when, like I say, the manager and the director... Why do you think that is, Clive? Why, why wasn't there more questions? I mean, I, to be fair, I stopped going to fans' forums where I got accused of asking shite questions when I wasn't even there. So that kind of put me off. But, like... Um, I, I agree. <laughs> no, exactly. I remember one, someone said, oh, same old faces, same old shit questions from Finney. And it was like, I wasn't even there. Anyway, but... Um, <laughs> you did get a mention, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 I heard 1882. My arse, 1886. Anyway, um, but Clive, why do you think people didn't ask more about the team? There's nothing wrong with asking questions, obviously, about the operations and about things that were going wrong at Peterborough and 
and the Luton match, I get all that, I understand all that. But why do you not think there was not more about what we're going to do in January, what we're going to do this, we're going to do that? Why do they feel so redundant? It's going well. It's going well, isn't it? It's just, you know, it's it's easy to say people like a moan or whatever, but you're always going to ask about stuff that's going wrong more than you're going to ask about stuff that's going right, I think. And, you know, to be fair, I've only been on, what, three of these podcasts this year, but there there are problems, you know, operationally, grounds, ticketing, loyalty points, all of this stuff, you know. It is a problem. Um, I think one of the big topics, and you mentioned it earlier, Finney, was the atmosphere and lower loft, safe standing. I think you can wrap all of this into into one, really. Um, Peter Blexley, who has been on this podcast, got into some Twitter bother a couple of weeks ago for describing the amount of empty seats at the Huddersfield game as embarrassing, which you've got to be careful with things like that because midweek in November and Christmas and costs and families and kickoff times and all of that, you know, you can't harangue people for not going to the match, but without attacking anybody or trying to do the celebrity fan bit, I, the atmosphere at our home games isn't, isn't very good considering where the team is in the league and certainly wasn't on Sunday. Um, so how do we solve that? Because they, they basically the forum was like, Everyone agreed the atmosphere was poor. Mm. Everybody agrees something needs doing about it. I'm not moving out of my seat. You needn't think I'm moving out of my seat to cure it. Uh, you know, good luck. <laughs> Basically, the, the message that came out. So, I mean, go on, head on, head above the parapet, either of you two. How do you solve it? The atmosphere is not good, is it? Well, the thing is, what can you do? I mean, we used to go on about the family section week after week after week after week, but it's here now and, it's, and people have grown up. You know, whether they move on when they get to a certain age and they have to relocate and sit somewhere else, the ground's a different issue. And if you made safe standing in the paddocks and people in the paddocks would feel that they're, they're basically the ground's too small and that's always going to be a problem. To, unless we just ban away fans and do a, an 80s loot and, and build something in the school end, then our choices are quite limited to what we do. It needs some person who's not an idiot like me to come up with it. I mean, you could have more songs, you could have more flags, you could do all that. Um, if they bring clappers, I'm ficking off. Oh. There's no way I'm sitting through that shit. But, you know, there's, there's, there's ways and means. I mean, you've got the Palace Ultras, which is very cringeable. So you've got the Huddersfield have done something about it. It's difficult because what you don't want, you don't want to Americanise it and cheapen it. It has to be organic and it has to be fruitful and it has to be beneficial to the team. I, I honestly don't know. But the safe stand, I presume they'll probably put it in the paddocks or maybe the lower loft, but that means you'd have to move the family stand. And where do you put the family stand? And they've already moved people from there who will win to say, well, I was moved 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, for this family stand. Now they're moving again. Yeah, it's, you're right, Clive. No one's going I mean, to move. That's the bottom no line. Answer. There's no answer, and I agree with Lee, who's, when he says, would you like it if someone came up to you now and said, oi, out of your seat, we, we need this area to do something else with. Which is exactly uh, what they did for the family stand. Well, a counterpoint it. to that is nobody, they, nobody was basically consulted. There was none of this concern when they booted people out to put more press yeah. benches in Ellerslie Road at the behest of Sky. And when they wanted to extend the C Club, when Flavio was around, you just got booted. So, and we lost our, we lost our drinking. I mean, one thing that doesn't help is... It's, yeah, took the bar away and, and, and things like that. I think at some point they are going to have to bite the bullet. I think safe standing would be a good thing and it, it would maybe Absolutely. draw people who want to create an atmosphere into the same area. You Where would, would you put it? put it? Well, I think you would have to probably put it in some or in part in the lower loft, although I don't see why you basically couldn't make all or most of our block safe standing overnight because everyone stands yeah. up in it anyway. I think you could do that almost immediately without upsetting very few people, but I don't sit or stand in our block. So somebody listening to this that does maybe 
you know, annoy, uh, annoyed at that. I think at some point you are going to have to bite the bullet and upset somebody and you have to go to these people very honestly. And as somebody stood up towards the end of the forum and used the term, you're going to have to grandfather their price. You're basically going to have to let them sit wherever they want in the rest of the ground at the same cost that they pay now because you can't mm, have yeah. a family of four moving out of the family stand into South Africa Road where they'll very quickly be facing four or five times the cost. You're going to have to swallow that cost and you're not going to please everybody and some people are going to be unhappy but if you want to achieve this and I think we do need to do something um I mean we've mentioned it before I've mentioned it before going to Blackpool and being part of that atmosphere and seeing what is capable in a smallish ground at a you know mid-range championship club it is within our gift to solve it you're never never going to please everybody I think they are going to have to bite the bullet on certainly on safe standing and, and probably in some are all of the lower loft. Although, again, I don't sit there. So people listening who do will be thinking, Thank you. But yeah. the thing is, you go back to Blackpool. Sorry, Charlie, I'll, I'll let you come in after no, this. No, no, good, good. Sorry, mate. Um, look at what Blackpool went through to get to where they are. They had to, re- they had to grab their club by the bollocks and take it on and, and manage it themselves. So I think that was through nothing more than tyranny. Who was who was running their football club? We we know well about back in the day as well. So, well, that I was when our atmosphere was at the best, right? When we yeah. coming back off the back the of the admit, it's that you know getting your club back feeling. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're standing up, sitting down. That helps, and that that is a situation at Blackpool. But you know, I don't know, Charlie. What's the answer, mate? Um, oh, short and simple. There isn't one. I just want to come back quickly, just so that I just thinking and reflecting as, as you came onto the, uh, the the seating the stadium I mean the pod the, the forum I think you can you can take it the flip in the fact that you know if the major issues where we're not questioning anything about the roles and activities conducted by management and by director of football then we're in a good place and that sort of embodies that and if we're asking questions and maybe talking about things about about the media team and sort of other issues that, about holding the roof, then the club's in a good place at the moment. So to, to sort of juxtapose what we've had a few years ago at, at fans forums, then I guess you, although maybe the tone wasn't quite there, um, from what you take from that, I guess is, is probably a, quite a positive. But anyway, coming on to some of the, the other things that were discussed at the forum, as you mentioned, the, the safe seat. And I think even now, as you sort of mentioned, this sort of, safe standing the stadium it's even more of an area now it needs acting upon because you know we talked about the last couple of seasons okay that we're looking at this new stadium whatever this stadium is not a reality for any anywhere in the near future if we're perfectly honest with ourselves at least anywhere in west london so you kind of put that on the back burner and go right okay things need to happen in this stadium at the moment yes people aren't going to want to be ejected from their seats i don't blame them i wouldn't want to be either simple as that but um it, it comes to you know a compromise in the the favor of the many and if it is the many then that's the action that that we're gonna have to take people have been ejected before if it's for the greater good then this is what i guess people have to buy into but if it's you know consulted right and we go about it the right way um and the safe standing is a debacle but i think in in terms of short term i think what was quite rightly mentioned i think that you know when the players come out before the game there's the atmosphere there's nothing really to get it going i wasn't fully against the idea of some form of anthem i don't know exactly quite what this is the problem everyone raised good points but no one really had the solution i guess that comes together with consultation yeah. from wider groups welcome but, to welcome to every fans forum that has ever been absolutely held. absolutely <laughs> i think the um, other thing's true though we and need the flags as well yeah no i, I mean, mean the, listen the flags are good identity but every club does that, though, Charlie and Clive. Every every club has flags, and but then why even... aren't we? I think it's quite. I think it's quite a staple of, of football culture and football atmosphere. But 
I mean, you can learn a lot from so people say you learn a lot from Germany. You keep they learned it from us, so you take it back a bit. Yeah, I think we just need to. If people are and we are passionate supporters, this is what gets me. I don't understand it because we're a passionate club, we're passionate fans. But sometimes the atmosphere is a bit strange, and the players will feed off that. It, the anthem's a good point, though. Suddenly, get everyone out going when they come out, and um, it's such, we, it's such, yeah, it's such a tricky area because I think you sometimes realise that. I think when it was at Derby last week, you kind of look. There's like. There's one section in the stadium where where fans will they'll stand up and they'll sing and you look round to the other all, all the other half of the stadium everyone's so passive sitting down you barely get a clap out of them so it's like if you try and manifest and, and try and manufacture this this area of a stadium that's for people that want to go and sing and chant you kind of then you get sort of lose sort of the echo and the ring round you get from that so you know when you, when you get ready. Like, yeah you get reading or, or like we saw at Derby so it, it's a very very difficult issue to. To tackle and one it's got to be organic. Yes, this, yeah, that's right, right. When it's manufactured, it, it comes across wrong, and it, it's it's um it's aesthetic. It, it doesn't give the quite the right impact. But like you say, I don't know how you go about this. I, I'm glad. I'll tell you what. I'm glad I'm not Lee Hughes in this in this circumstance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a couple of other points. I think I, I, that is a good point you you make, Charlie, about the fact because if we're moaning about holes in the roof at the fans forum, then things are going pretty well. I bet Phil Beard wished he'd had a fans forum where his only problem was as a hole in the roof. Um, Lee Hughes, I mean, last time I was on this podcast, we had Ruben on and he, the most surprising thing for me was that he was talking up more to do at Loftus Road and staying at Loftus Road and future at Loftus Road when the message from the club has been the opposite. I came away from that podcast and thought about it and felt like, again, it was more of a message to the council than a realistic um, aim or goal. Um, and Lee Hughes, again, at the forum said very starkly, uh, it's, Again, this is where you came up, Finney, because he said 1882, 1886, it's my job to make sure there's a club here in whenever he said 2086, 2186. He said, you will die if you stay here. And he repeated it. He said, if you stay, if this club stays at this ground, it will die. Um, whether you mm. agree with that or not, but it was a stark statement to make when the owner of the club has been saying the opposite for the past few weeks, whatever his motivations were for that. Final point I wanted to, to raise it's a hospital pass again, my second of the night. Lee Hughes is very angry. Made a big point at the end of the forum about supporter behaviour this year. Um, obviously, you had what happened at the Luton game, which is a bit different to people throwing stuff at Fulham or running on the pitch at Reading or, or whatever it's been. I, I don't think it's controversial to say that the behaviour of supporters does seem to have deteriorated this year. I've seen stuff this year that I haven't seen for many years, um, Finney, I'll give you this hospital pass. Do you think it's got worse? Why has it got worse? What to be done? And ouch. Um, I can see the headlines now on Twitter. Celebrity fans um, talk about hooligans um, or, or lack of, of... I don't know. I think, is it, is it, I think society, football always reflects society and society is very, very angry at the moment um, because of COVID because of vaccines, because of vaccine passes, because of this, because of that. And everyone's edgy, whether it be in scenes, or the Kai Prince. Um, it, it, it's a very strange atmosphere in the world. It's a very angry place, you know, post-Brexit and everything else. And I think we're reflecting that. And I think that people have come back to football and there's maybe people have come back from banning orders. I don't know. But there's, there's certainly new kids in the block who, who are making a name for themselves. And um, Peterborough was was a bit scary because that kid got hit with a bottle and it was one of our own. And there was a very, it's not a pleasant atmosphere sometimes when they're sat angry away from home or 
the Luton game was always going to be trouble on a Friday night. I know the police will say, oh, you know, it could be the same as Saturday, but Friday nights are always different um, playing them. And um, yeah, I mean, what happened at Luton Farm was, I don't know this, what the rights and wrongs went on. I wasn't there. I didn't see anything. I don't know. But you don't want people not going to football match, not coming home and going to come. That's just wrong on any level. Um, and you don't see people getting hurt at football. You want to create an atmosphere. You want to make it hostile. But what you don't want to do is make it violent. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of a wee bit going back tonight. But then again, there's all this romance about 80s football hooligans and Clive and, and Charlie that, you know, the people are writing the books, people make the films. There's a whole lot of romance about it. But what they don't say, a lot of it was shite. A lot of it was quite scary. And a lot of it was indiscriminate. And you don't want that coming back. Um, and I know some people love all them old days and the, the thing of being a firm and everything else. And that's up to them. It was never something for me, never will be something for me. And um, I just hope that we don't see people getting out of football matches because that's not what should happen. What the club do about it, what the police do about it. I mean, anyone with half a brain would have seen that Luton on a Friday night was going to be trouble. I mean, we absolutely hate them and they absolutely hate us. And the return match is going to be incredibly bad. After yeah, what that happened. Return, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that return match. That might be one where if Sky moved that, I might actually be tempted not to go. But well, we're um, only going to 700 tickets, Clive, as well. Don't forget, you only get a limited. Yeah, so it's not going to. It's going to be what is affectionately known as the Scarfers, isn't it? It's only going to be the the weirdos like me who've been going forever and just go to geek out over the football that are going to be involved in mm. in that game. So that's <laughs> that's something to look forward to. Um, I'm a bit of a scarf myself, Clive, even though I'm a bad tempered one. Yeah. Um, the other um, the other thing I thought was that basically the attitude at the forum was seemed to be in whole agreement with Lee Hughes that this is a terrible thing and people should be arrested and banned and thrown out of the club. I mean, there was there was zero dissent in the room. Um, they mentioned that there had previously been a, a text line that you could anonymously text for bad behaviour and. <laughs> The, the head of operations of GPR said they'd received two texts, one of whom, one was from a guy that said there were 10 blokes in blue and white hoop shirts making his life miserable, which I, I thought was... <laughs> <laughs> um, but they said they said, that they, would bring that, they said they would bring that phone line back and that everyone in the room was sort of, yeah, good, and, you know, we'll, we'll report it, we'll report it. Whenever the club tweet anything like that um, or put on their socials anything like that, use this number report, see it, report it. The response they get is really angry and aggressive against, like, almost that sort of... Grass. Dodgy, yeah, grass, like, dodgy gangster films with Vinnie Jones and whatever, you know, you're asking us to grasp on our own and stuff. So they're in a really difficult position with it. Um, Again, some people will have sat near me at away games and thought that my behaviour, I'm sure, was unacceptable. You know, too much shouting, too much swearing, losing plot, whatever. I go to football, I I don't think it's acceptable that the toilets at away games basically become a drug den, particularly if you've got, if you're taking a kid to the football, you need to take him for a piss at halftime and you can't get in there because people are just using it to to smoke and, and take coke. I don't think that's acceptable. Other people would think that's acceptable. I think it's acceptable to swear at the football other people again with kids maybe don't I, it's really difficult obviously you know i think that this performative joy thing that has come in really since all that beer went in the air at the russian world cup that whenever you're celebrating things get launched in the air which we've seen someone got hit at fulham someone got hit at peterborough i think that's ridiculous other people don't 
it's a really, really difficult. It's the second issue we've tackled and we're not going to come up with a solution because it's a can, nightmare for the club to solve. Can I spin this ahead a wee bit, Charlie and, 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 and Clive, and, and give you an example of where the, the, the fingering people, grassing people, informing on people can go a little bit pear-shaped. Um, there's an incident at Peterborough where a mate of mine was accused of doing something that he didn't do. And the reason why I know that is because I was I seen him. I was with him. So I know that he didn't do it. Now, he was facing being arrested. He was facing being banned. He didn't do it. You know, and that, and that was purely someone just putting two and two together and coming up with 147. It was nowhere near. And, and I seen him that day. And I was like, he wasn't even wearing that. So we have to be very, very careful about this, that we don't get people banned and locked up. We haven't done anything as well where people can use things. I'm not saying this was the case, but sometimes, you know, some people think it's unacceptable that you call John Terry an absolute wanker and would report me for that. You know, you've got to be, it's got to be done in a, in a way that people can police themselves. Obviously, if someone comes in with a flipping knife and tries to stab someone, you're not going to, no one's going to be blamed for saying, actually, that bloke did that and, 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 and have a, an issue with that. But yeah, that was one incident that made me think that we've got to be very, very careful about this because that fella's now think they've not gone back to QPR and he's a lifelong fan and it's, it's not right. The attitude, the attitude of football fans in this country um, really since, well, since the 80s when some football fans probably deserved it. But it's a fact in this football country that if, you, if I punch, if I went on Whetstone High Street and punched someone tomorrow, I would get a shorter sentence than if I go to Sheffield United on Monday and punch somebody there. You get stricter sentences. Football fans get stricter sentences for stuff that's done at football. And you look at the report that came out about the Wembley um, final last week, which basically went out of its way not to blame any senior police officers, uh, any of the local authority, any of the licensing, and, and basically just hammered the fans for it. There does seem to be this attitude, you know, that football fans are fair game at the minute. And there's a balance to be struck between, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a criminal for wanting to go to Sheffield United QPR on Monday and some of the behaviour we have seen this season, which is, I think, the vast majority would say is unacceptable and unnecessary, but again, it's a, it's a real awkward one. But Clive, my, my, my daughter's at Nottingham University. She's working at Nottingham Forest now and again. And it makes me laugh because she doesn't. She joined an agency, so she could be stewarding, she'd be working in the CAF, she could be working in hospitality with the players, wives, and so on. She doesn't know where she's going to be working. They just put her somewhere. And that's, again, it's cost-cutting. The whole Euro thing, I can say this because I'm an outsider, I didn't support anyone in that because we didn't fucking make it, because we got robbed again, and we were shite, um, was basically just people trying to keep costs down and not having enough police. The police that were there didn't do a good enough job, and people just rushed a disabled area, which they did twice before that, and the warning signs, and it was complete whitewash. People could have died, and it could have been another flip in Hillsborough, and every, yeah, everyone just goes, oh, yeah, but they didn't. I, the fellow that went on the pitch, this is a true story, in that game, lives near me in Barnet. He's not a football fan. What was he doing there? Which game was this, sorry? The they went on the pitch during the um, final. Oh, right. He's not even hes not even a football fan. I know him. I know the family. It's a joke. They just do it for the... He did it for his bloody Instagram followers. I, you know? am, I am going to make us move on to ours end because Charlie is studying... What are you studying today? Corporate governance of Germany. Corporate governance of Germany, and he needs very to get back to that. It's very, that, very important. Would you not be, without being funny, Charlie, would you not be better studying how to change the light bulb? 
corporate, <laughs> corporate governance of Germany is calling Charlie. So we're doing ours end and I'll do mine first because it's related to this. Uh, just before this podcast, we had another most tremendous and exciting and uplifting uh, Downing Street press conference in which it was confirmed that vaccine passports are um, going to be a thing at our matches as of next week, as of Swansea. Um, why on earth they've decided to suddenly bump this press conference up and have it today, of all the days, I couldn't possibly comment. I However, was shocked, Clive, at that. Couldn't believe it. I can't believe they've dropped an announcement like that today. I, I'm just shocked yeah, and why character. the timing of it. Um, can't believe it. What do you it. think of why they did it, Charlie? But anyway, no, come on. not at all. Gonna, no. It's going to blitz our Twitter mention. <laughs> can't believe they've had it today, but they have. So, uh, for whatever reason that may be. Uh, Kobe Passports at our games. Lee, who's uh, has said on this podcast, has said to my website and said again the other day that they were already struggling to so many of the problems that were raised around catering and everything else at the fans forum are about just struggling to get the staff, struggling, as Paul says, stewarding. Every, the football industry has come to rely on poorly paid, short term, you know, casual labour. Lee, who says we were very close to not being able to put the, the Millwall and Barnsley games on because of lack of stewards. And now, with 10 days' notice, we have to presumably put in place at an already difficult stadium and staff a vaccine passport system in time for Swansea and then find enough people to staff it again for an evening match on December the 27th against Bournemouth, which I can't imagine. I mean, I've never had to staff an event, but I would think that must be a tough sell to get some staff in for that. Um, so yeah, COVID passports from next week. What do we think? Well, let's be fair. Look, they might check it for the first game. They might check it for the second game. But in the end, they'd be like looking in your bags. You open it, you go in. You might as well bring your membership to the Beano, and you probably get you probably get in. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not convinced it will be. Well, I wouldn't say please. That's a wrong word to use. And I'm very aware of how political that word is. But it, it won't be overseen well. So I can, it, it, it'll be a thing. My experience experience at Cardiff was I got to the gate, opened the app, and because, you know, mobile phones often struggle for signal when there's a lot of people around. Obviously, there's a lot of people around at football. I can't get my halftime scores on my phone. So I opened the app, and the wheel just turned and kept turning. And the guy, you know, I'd gone all the way from London to Cardiff on a Wednesday night. The guy said, if you can't get the wheel to stop turning, if you can't show me, then you can't come in. Oh, really? In the end... One of, our, one of the more sensible people in our group had taken a screenshot before we got to the ground uh, and we swapped phones and I showed the steward his and he'd already gone in on his and the steward said, yeah, that's fine. So we went on the same one, which is a complete farce um, and speaks to what you said. But they're not going to want to be policing this, is it? It's going to be like, it's there, uh, what is it? There to be seen, seen to be there, but not there to be seen. Yeah, They're not going to do something that's going to get the smack in the face, are they? Sorry. Other. No, no, no. I think mean, they can barely cope with getting the people in at the moment with the tickets, let alone the vigilance to be able to stamp people out with, with COVID passports. So I'm with Finney on that one and yourself, Flava. I can't see them maybe for the first couple of weeks, but I think the vigilance on that one will worth him. Um happy it'd be a happy carnage against Swansea, and then they'll basically yeah. give up after that, right? That's, that's, um, that's what what is, well, just another day on normal island. Uh, uh Charlie, did you have an Azen? Nothing too, uh, nothing too drastic or nothing too um, interesting, shall I say. But I think 
one thing that I think we always talk about at the moment, this side is, is missing the fullbacks and missing Wallace and whatever. I think one man that doesn't quite get the credit at the moment, I think the impact that Lyndon Dykes have been having on this side, I think he is missed so, so dearly at the moment. I'm not sure it's really quite happened with his injury because it's been said for a little while that he could be back. He could be, I was just saying he could be back for could being with contention, but he just doesn't seem to be in with contention or be anywhere near the squad at the moment. So I think once we get him back, I think he's just that, that pinnacle outlet at the top of the side. I think he just makes it tick. He brings the players into play a lot better. He offers a lot more from the start. I think he's just, he's so, so crucial to, to how we play. And I am dearly missing him. I'm not sure about yeah, you guys. He's making, he makes a big difference. What I'm interested about is the same as you, because Lyndon got injured, I think, against Forest, but then played the games after that at yeah. Blackpool. Certainly played at Blackpool. Did he play at Cardiff? I think he played at Cardiff. Um, and then went off on international duty and hasn't played since. And they kind of dropped into conversation that he aggravated this injury in training for Scotland. Mm. I would imagine that QPR are pretty pissed off about that because he went away on international duty, even though he was suspended for the first game against Moldova. Yeah. Um, and the second game against Denmark, I'm, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there was anything on that in the end, was there? It was basically they were already... They didn't have to win that. Yeah, no, I don't think so. You've taken oh, him sure, away. Did, did, you've did, taken him away on international uh, duty. You've taken him away on international duty when he definitely can't play the first game. You've aggravated his injury. It's not the first time I think that Scotland's treatment of Lyndon has not been the best. The, he was the only one last year that they would use in all three games. In those silly international breaks where you play three times. I should imagine they'll do it behind closed doors, but I should imagine that QPR are reasonably pissed off with the amount of games that Lyndon has played and, and how he's often treated when he goes off international duty. I might be wrong. I, I think the, even the, the whole of this season, I don't really think he's been 100% fit. I think you look at a lot of players that struggle with the aftermath of the, the European Championships. And, and as you mentioned, there's been no remorse from Scotland whatsoever for his domestic campaign. Um, and it's just, and I'm sure, like you say, I'm sure that QPR are absolutely furious with, with how he's been managed. But I'd, I mean, look, who, who on earth am I to say with with um, the decision to put him in, but I would at certain points I would it almost seemed like he'd have a, he's had a vigorous international break and we chuck him straight back in when he'd be a doubt. It was kind of like, you know, you know, you sacrifice him there, maybe just bring him back up, let him just climatize it, and then get him in at the right point when he's fully fit. And it, like I say, he'd have, it seemed to aggravate that injury and prolong this sort of return. But I mean, just hopefully he can come back and, and make the impact on the side soon that we know he can. 80 appearances, at least 80, I think it's more, 80 appearances from September 2020 to October 2021 with the, mm. the Euros, the international duty in the shortened season last year. He's basically played two seasons worth of games in a year um, and we do miss him. Finney, what's your R's then? Going back to that quickly, I think under UEFA rules and that, there's not a lot of QPR can do in FIFA rules. We've got an international football and stuff like that. But yeah, it did seem that he was sacrificed when he didn't need to be. And I don't blame Ridges for being angry with that. But again, I'm bitter because we never qualified. So, so different when he made it to the World Cup. I hope it's crap. Um, anyway, <laughs> can't think of why that could possibly go wrong. Anyway. I'll tell you what, though, if you carry on recruiting these, these, elite, these elite footballers like you do on the podcast, they might actually be all right. Well, like 60 year old Clive Wilson's, I did a freaking We're not the first time, Finney, on this podcast, though. Not the first time. I'll take my chances. Listen, you're going to have these bingo cards go on. The people are stupid enough to play it then. Anyway, um, you know, I like to slag, slag the listeners off. That's great. We're, they've stuck with us for an hour and a quarter and you're coating them off. That's great. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, it's mainly my friends that do it and they text me, so I'm cutting my friends off. Anyone else does it, 
thank you. It's not worth it, but thank you anyway. Um, yes. Go back fans forum. Again, the price of tickets was mentioned. I've gone up and everything else. And I, I urge, and I've always said this, we need to be careful with ticketing prices. I know they haven't gone up for a while and I get all that. And I understand that when things are bad, we always look at ticket prices because it's been horrible. I get all that. But I, we are still quite pricey in some parts of the ground and the away support is massively pricey. Um, I would just urge QPR caution on that and to work with the fans on that and try and do, if they are going to do a price increase, do one that suits everyone. And because um, we need to build this fan base and we need to keep it, we need to make it as special as it is. You know, you can easily forget that it was only a couple of years ago we were, we were struggling to get people in the place again, you know what I mean, after what, the premiership years and everything else. So we're growing the fan base, keep growing it, don't force anyone out price-wise. We've got some bloody good incentives for the underweights and stuff, keep them and everything else. But if you are going to keep the prices, keep it very, very minimum. And that is my hour's end. Please don't put the price up for price people like. Uh, it's very, somebody it's very somebody said um, kids for a quid for the Rotherham Cup tie and the first reply was you'd need to pay my kids more than that to go to keep the Rotherham. <laughs> did, did, I mean, I'm not right. I know we're finished and I'm sorry for rambling on, but I was, I, I pulled up in my van and I listened oh. to that cup draw and I was deflated like a flat tire on the way to Mars. I mean, no disrespect. To, well, it is disrespect. I didn't want Rotherham. You know, when it's someone else. I mean, I know, and we all know what's going to happen. Same every year. Same every year. It's a team we've played a billion times before. I, I think we're due Blackburn again, aren't we? We haven't had Blackburn for about 20 minutes. Um, and MK. Yeah, I'm watching them now, uh, which is where I'm going after this. I'm going to sit in the bath and watch MK Don's Plymouth because that's what's exciting. That mental treat, image is not needed or fucking necessary. <laughs> and on that bombshell, we are going <laughs> to we're going to end this podcast. It's gone uh, way too long. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Clive Wilson, who was a great guest. Uh, thank you to Charlie. I need to wash my eyes. Your German mate, and uh, thank you, mate. Thank you to Paul as well. I guess, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining. <laughs> thanks for uh, listening. This, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. This has been Open All Arts. Awesome.